a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 69 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right here on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Hurlman. And with me like a Wookiee with a life debt, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. What's up, everybody? Uh, summer is nearing. Thank goodness. That's all I can say as a teacher. <laughs> oh, he he likes uh, he likes your suffering. I think it's the dark side in Whistler. I guess so. I guess it's a uh, what is it? Uh, uh, mandatory state testing is the path to the dark side. Testing leads to frustration. Frustration leads to anger. Anger leads to suffering, etc., etc. You just gotta like switch around the words because I don't think there's any hate involved in it. It's just a whole lot of frustration and idiotic, uh, uh, crazy scheduling where you never quite know when you're going to see those students again or what you're going to do in that three-hour block of time when they're not testing and so on. Uh, It's movie time, apparently, for most teachers. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder on about the future of the EU, as it's represented by Star Wars Legacy, the comic by Dark Horse set 140 years after A New Hope, chronicling the adventures of the Skywalker descendants. This episode will focus on the first two Zero issues in the first arc, Broken, chronicling up to issue number seven of the Legacy series. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because... Here we go. I have broken the spine of the galaxy. Nearly a hundred years ago, the Yuzhan Vong invaded, plunging the galaxy into deep chaos, bleeding and weakening it. Patient in the force, I waited as the galaxy grew darker. I watched as the invaders, finally defeated, were allowed to live in exile in the sentient planet Zenoma Sakat, a folly designed by the Jedi, but ultimately that too served my purpose. Lingering hatred festered on worlds that had suffered heavily at the hands of the Yuzon Vong. That hatred gave us our opening. I made an alliance with the reborn Empire at Bastion. We manufactured a cause for war, making the Vong seem responsible. Split, the Galactic Alliance began to fight itself, and so died. I know the Jedi from old. They could never share my vision. Two days ago, the Jedi Temple on Coruscant fell. Today, at their academy on Ossus, the last of the Jedi will die. Sometimes, things must be broken in order to be rebuilt. As I have bent the Force to my will, so I will bend the galaxy, and it will know order. My true work is about to begin. 
from the holocron of Darth Krayt, Lord of the Sith. And thus begins the first series from Dark Horse entitled Legacy. Of course, we sort of honor the fact that the new Legacy series has just been launched uh, based around Anya, apparently that's how you're supposed to say it, Solo. Uh, this is the first Legacy series, which of course we got a preview of with issue number zero, which was later revised to become issue number uh, zero and one half, or number one half. I like to think of it as the more expensive one, because the first zero was 25 cents, and the other zero, the zero one half, was $2.99. Uh, quite a jump there in price. But the series starts out with issue number one, which is Broken Part One. Broken, of course, being the first storyline, the one that's reprinted over and over and over again. It's in hardback. It's in paperback. It is all over the place. In this case, issue one is set in 130 ABY, so 130 years after the events of A New Hope. Then it jumps into issue number two and onward throughout the rest of the series, or most of the rest of the series, into 137 ABY. So we jump by seven years uh, to see Cade grow up and see the situation set up in issue one finally play out. And in this case, they actually get the interior dates right. Unlike Dawn of the Jedi, where it still says the wrong starting date in them, and thank goodness we've just received, or at least I know I've just received the review copy of uh, Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void, and that at least, on the interior timeline, gets the date for the Dawn of the Jedi stuff right. But thankfully, Legacy never ran into those same issues that Dawn of the Jedi and, uh, say, the original Tales of the Jedi ran into so often. But we have here essentially a six-part story spread across seven issues because it goes part one in issue one, part two in issue two, part three in issue three, and then a filler issue entitled Noob where Travel Foreman came in and uh, did the artwork on a different story while they were waiting to get the rest of the stuff done for the final three parts. And then we move into part four in issue five, part five in issue six, and part six in issue Seven. These are the ones probably best known if you're looking for them on uh, store shelves as individual issues, as the issues that really didn't have anything story-related on the cover, so much as groups of characters that if you sit them all in a row, would sort of become sort of a panoramic view of many of the major characters of Legacy at that point. So these are the 137 ABY stories, with 130 ABY being the starting point, technically, for the series. The Zero issues have no time frame, they're just guidebooks. You know, and I understand it to a degree why they did the two of them. I mean, the first one did not give you a lot of what was going to happen with the Sith, what uh, Krayat was going to do, what was going to happen to the Empire, how we were going to have the true Empire and the Empire under the Sith. So all of that information was kind of left out. So after the first couple issues, when we got the bigger one, we, we had introduce, uh, introductions like that. I mean, when they mentioned Bastion and the Empire, they're now called the True Empire, whereas before they were just considered the Empire. Um, there's a lot of details in these. You know, I, I recently was mentioning with uh, some of the other series how it would be nice to get more of these zeros. Even with the second Legacy one, I would like to have a zero just to know what's going on with Anya's character and, and the, the area of space pertained to her. Because I know 
what's going on with the galaxy at large. I've been reading the main legacy. But these zero issues do a good job in that regard of, of introducing you to characters that might just show up and you'd be like, I have no idea who these people are or what they have to do with anything. Uh, there's a lot of little info like that. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned Noob. We're not really going to talk about Noob that much. I mean, we will we'll floss over it because it is part of the first seven issues. But we'll mainly hit that one again when we actually hit on the uh, Mandalorian arc. Because that's the first of what I consider the Mandalorian arc in the Legacy era. Uh, it, it's the one story that by the time the series resolves, we don't have an answer to. The, the characters in that plot just kind of like go off on their mission and we don't don't know what happens. We were kind of wondering if we're going to find out in the next Legacy series or not. But that starts here in number three or number four. Let me double check. It's four. Uh, number four, yeah. Speaking of the Zero issues, I mean, they work out pretty well. It's weird to see so much, I guess, of the material repeated in the one half, especially when the price went up so much. But it's what it is. You know, it is essentially an updated guide, and the fact that they updated it is kind of nice, so those coming into the series a little while later would still be able to see what's going on. Uh, Dynamic Forces actually did a special limited edition run of Legacy Number Zero, where it's the regular cover, but it's signed by John Ostrander. That's how I got my Legacy issues signed by Ostrander. I just got the Dynamic Forces one. I've got a, a copy of Number One, that Number One for One Dollar, that was signed by uh, Jan Dersima. So I've got the the pairing there at this point in my collection because this is my favorite Star Wars series of all time at this point. Um, but when we get into these, the idea of having these types of zero issues, I'm not sure that we really need them. We've had the Dark Horse handbooks, we had the uh, handbook or source book or whatever they called it for Knights of the Old Republic. What you could do with this is kind of what was done with the back few pages, instead of a letters page, of, say, Lost Tribe of the Sith. They gave us some background information in that little last, you know, page or two at the end of the book. Uh, the, the report from the one character about the criminal activities of the other. I'm reminded of some of the latter issues of Marvel's original Transformers series where at the end of many of the latter issues you had those text specs, little profiles, of individual characters. You can do something like that with a new Legacy series, or with just about any other Star Wars series, to bring people up to speed. If your goal, Dark Horse, is really to be accessible to new readers, but you are going to have any sense of trying to give us stories that connect to previous ones, rather than just going out there and saying, we're just going to kind of ignore what's around it and tell a good tale, then that's a way to do it. Give background information within the issues themselves, so there is no source book, there is no number zero to buy, and everyone is served. This is a good example of that. It would be nice to see it integrated into individual issues when we have big uh, series jumps like Legacy, or maybe in some of the later story arcs of Dawn of the Jedi to bring people up to speed on that, since they had their zero issue, uh, which will be eventually out of date as well. That's a good point. Uh, you know, there are some really cool things. You know, we get to see the ships. Uh, I, I admit, I did not like the Jedi X-83 Twin Tail Fighter, the latest version of the famed X-Wing. It looked nothing like an X-Wing. That really bothered the heck out of me because, you know, as a fan of the original trilogy and I go to the prequel trilogy and I didn't see any X-Wings, that bothered me. X-Wings were my... My bread and butter when it comes to Starfighters. I mean, that was that was what won Star Wars over Star Trek. They had X-Wings. Star Trek didn't have anything like that. They did not have dogfighters at the time. Granted, yeah, now they do with Shattered Universe and that game coming out and giving you a plethora of little tiny fighters. But until that happened, you know, the X-Wing was what dominated my fandom. Another thing I want to touch on this zero issue, though, is Coruscant. Uh, I loved how they tied so heavily into the Yuzen Vong. That's, you know, far and away my favorite series that book series and the the 
devastation that was wrought on the galaxy in that and how later books kind of just kind of ignored mentioning it or they do. It was like in one chapter and one chapter alone. Uh, it was brought to the forefront here. I mean, even on Coruscant, they're still struggling to get rid of the Vong forming. And so, you know, you see that kind of stuff and you see what's going on with the temple and how it's been rebuilt yet again. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. I, I, I agree with you, Nathan. You don't need to have it. But I do admit, though, I like it. That's the kind of stuff I enjoy. Heck, you, you could even put this in a, uh, you know, a, a guide kind of thing. You know, give us a... Uh, essential guide to Dark Horse comics and, and do it era by era where you put these things in each era kind of thing and, and make it that way. I mean, it, it's nice to have that information. I, I won't say you need it, but it definitely, for me, makes going into these series, I, I'm getting more out of it because I know a little more going in. I know some people, part of the mystery is is the fun, but for me, I had that little bit going in and I still was like, whoa, what's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that you don't, need to have this type of information. It's good background information to give. It's just the fact you don't necessarily need a separate issue. They could build it into the individual issues and that way make sure that, True. you know, like, let's say, I mean, they do this in Legacy later. Anytime they introduce a new Hatties word, it's defined at the beginning of the letters page. Oh, that's right. Well, if you're going to introduce something like the Imperial Mission, which shows up later in the story arc, broken, uh, later than the first issue, for instance, then... Why not, if you're going to have a little profile on the Imperial mission, make that part of the end? I mean, at this point, the Star Wars letters pages are almost disappearing faster than, well, anything Star Wars related now that Disney's in charge. <laughs> um, it, it's sort of one of those things where you don't really need the letters page. Um, you can certainly use part of it or even all of it to say, hey, here's your source book style material and it wouldn't add to the cost of your collecting it wouldn't need a separate issue and they could do it as each element is introduced i mean i could see some people reading the legacy number zero and feeling at least a little bit spoiled on certain elements granted not many but the idea of you know after the first issue you're wondering what happened to Cade. how does Cade become an adult where is he now well, Issue Zero explains about Rav finding him and him becoming a bounty hunter slash pirate, etc., etc. Granted, it's a minor spoiler, but they left that out and put that, say, into a thing around the letters page of Issue Number, say, 2. Then after it's been revealed, they can give you a little more detail about it in source book style form. There's just, there's a way to do it that is perhaps a little bit more functionally um, appropriate, I would say, um, if they're wanting to continue that as opposed to, you know, putting out extra issues and whatnot, which of course takes you know more time, more effort, more marketing, etc., etc. I would think it'd be cheaper on their end to just add it into a, an already existing issue that's coming out. Well, as we move into issue one, I, I know a complaint a lot of people have, and this goes with the greater EU in general, is that the Sith are still around. You know, Vader kills Palpatine, thus ending the Sith, restoring balance. The Sith should not be. Uh, right here at the beginning, we got a century past. A new breed of Sith, a legion of them, emerged from hiding on the planet Korriban and formed an alliance with the Reforged Empire. Together they manufactured an incident that sundered the Galactic Alliance and began a brutal war. Now, the Jedi, few and scattered, seem to be the last impediment to Sith dominance. However, the name Skywalker still burns across the galaxy, a legacy of hope in a galaxy of darkness." You know, and really quick, just going into the other legacy, it kind of bothers me that the name Skywalker is still remembered, but the name Solo is so quickly forgotten. I mean, really? Leia and Jaina didn't do enough? That's funny, because we sort of got the sense back during the reading of this that, well, the Solo line 
we just kind of assume that that's where Rowan and Maricia Fell come in. That, of course, at some point, uh, Jaina and Jag must get together, which, of course, now we know they have. At the time that this was being written, we didn't know how Fate of the Jedi was going to turn out. But, of course, now we have them two together, so we figure, okay, they're together, they'll have kids, who will have kids, who will have kids, and eventually one of them will be Rowan Fell, the third of the Fell Emperors, as they say, of this reborn or or uh, 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 rebuilt bigger empire. So, yeah, the Solo line is taken care of in some form or another. And really, to think about it, I'm wondering how it is that Aenea Solo gets the name Solo. She almost has to be through uh, Alana Solo, uh, Amelia slash Alana, because if you think about it, Jaina isn't a Solo anymore. Jaina is a Fell. And of the Solo children, right, Anakin, Jason, Jaina, the only ones who would have given their last name to the future, the males, Anakin and Jason, both of them are dead. So you've only got the one that can carry on. So I could see how logically it would make sense that the name Solo would disappear up to this point. But of course, now we have a lot of storyline growing, which could provide the, the answer to how it eventually gets to Anya, or however you're supposed to say her name. I think Anya is what I saw. Uh, online for them. It just, I guess I never really thought about the solo line when it came to the original legacy because of the Fells, and then now we've got this other one pulling it in, and it does make the absence of the solo family name in this series seem more pronounced than I think it was at the time that they were first being produced. Well, there was, and I don't remember which arc it was in, but there was a later arc where uh, Saya, she mentioned the princess fell, she mentions her cousins and Hapes. So I, I just assumed that this next legacy was all going to be set in Hapes, and and Anya was going to be a princess in the Hapes Consortium. I, I figured that that was all Alana's line and that they were over there. I, I thought that that was where they were going with that. So I'm very curious to see where the next series goes based off of where this one went and my misinterpretations. I mean, there was a lot of that going on. I mean, I, I know that when this came out, one of the other things going on in fandom was a lot of people were really upset about the tying of the EU's hands. That by by implying that Jaina married Fell had all but written it in stone. And there were these shipper camps, you know, she's going to get with Zek. No, she's going to get with Jag. No, she's getting with Zek. No, she's getting with Zek. She's getting with Zek! It's been written since back in KJA time! And, and it's like, calm down, people. And then this book series comes out, this comic series comes out, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute here, what's going on? These fandom little shipper wars started to get really angry with each other there. But even though we had that feeling, like you said, Nathan, they kept it quiet. Like, okay, we know that Cade was Luke's descendant, but they never said whether he was Luke's grandson or great-grandson. And it came down to, okay, is Cole and his brother Ben's son, or are they his grandsons? And we still, to this point, don't exactly have that answer. We have a good idea, but they haven't officially given an answer. So it's, it gets to that point of, of, you know, yeah, we got some playroom here, and it kind of does tie the hands, but there's still room for storytelling in there. And I think that that's a large thing that, that most of us kind of forgot when it first came out. You know, we were, everybody's worried about what's going to happen to the EU. Even even now with Disney stuff and the new movies, everybody's like, what's going to happen to the EU? And, you know, because we get no answer, it's really easy to go doom and gloom with a lot of things. And I think that that is something that kind of hurt legacy when it first came out was that Im immediate negative reaction of, well, what is this going to do to my EU? 
I was like, well, it's going to add into it. And I, I really think by the time this series was over, they did a very good job with what they did for the overall saga and the way they tied it all together. Well, just thinking back to the whole idea of how does how do Cole and Cade wind up being related to Luke, that's something they're dealing with right now with the new Legacy series. Because when they first talked about this new character of Anya Solo, they said that she was Han and Leia's great-granddaughter. But then when they started actually soliciting the first issue, the first part of a Prisoner of the Floating World, they said that she is their great-great-granddaughter. They added a generation in there. And now the co-creators, the uh, artist and the writer for that series, have now come out and said in an interview that, well, actually, how she's related to Han and Leia, well, that's actually a mystery, and we're not going to reveal it any time in the near future. So it seems as though they're sort of leaving that up in the air at this point as far as Anya, the same way they did with Cade, as if we're not really supposed to know how the relationship is there as long as we understand that they're part of that family lineage. It kind of reminds me of the way that we had characters showing up in, say, the early Dark Horse uh, a post-Return of the Jedi EU stuff that wound up with family names being repeated in, say, Tales of the Jedi. We didn't need to know how the families were connected, we just need to know, hey, there's these, like, uh, uh, oh, what is her name? Mission Vow in the Knights of the Old Republic game, and Astral and Shadow Vow in here, all of whom are blue Twi'leks. We don't need to know how many generations separate them, how the family lines connect, as long as we know they are part of the same family. The, as the title says, the legacy of that family is what we're focusing on. It's, we, we are very nitpicky as fans. We want to see everything connect and see how it connects. Only in this case, all they're telling us is, it connects. How? We're not going to tell you. Which, it, it bothers, I think, a sense of our fandom sometimes because we want to see it connect, but I'm not sure that it's a big enough issue that it's a detriment to the series by any means. I think it's just one of those things where we're hoping someday we'll know. Yeah. Well, there's the opposite of that, too. I mean, you know, going back into KOTOR, people want to know, well, is is Zane Carrick... Skywalker descent, you know, did the Skywalkers descend from him? Did they descend from Bane? There's all these prominent characters that you could easily consider descended from because Shmi is a lady, and like with the solo name, you know, did, did she get saddled with the name Skywalker? Is that who she married, or did she, you know, is that her dad's name that she had? We don't know where the Skywalkers go backwards too. And originally, that was where a lot of people they never thought that we would see anything this far out unless we went one book, 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 and years later we finally got there. All of a sudden, they just jumped so far ahead that everybody was like, "Whoa, slow down!" But there have been those completionists that have wanted to know all this time. Poor Anakin, though. You know, I mean, it's not even he can't even say that the reason why he carries on his mother's name instead of a father's name is because his mother was a single parent, per se. No, he didn't have a daddy. And you can't name him Anakin Force Birthed or something. I mean, what is the what is the Star Wars equivalent of Jon Snow? Force Son. <laughs> He's Force Son. <laughs> there you go, Anakin Force Son. Uh, that would certainly have made it his uh, kids stand out. But I like, well, as we get into Broken, I like the fact that the first issue... It doesn't just throw us into the situation where we see uh, grown-up Cade, as we do in issue number two. We actually use the first issue essentially as a prologue. The fact that we get to see Wolf Sazen fighting Darth Nil and lose his arm. We get to see the death of Cole Skywalker, the events that essentially will scar Cade for the rest of his life, cause him to turn away from the Jedi. We see Darth Krayt not honoring the deal with Morlish Veed and becoming Emperor as opposed to making Veed the Emperor 
uh, at least on Coruscant. I mean, all these things sort of play into each other to give us not only good backstory, but some of the things about the Cade character that make him one of my favorite in Star Wars ever. Uh, my fiance and I pretty much decided that if she and I ever have kids, and that's kind of an up-in-the-air thing, she's got all kinds of health issues from uh, the cancer and the treatments afterwards, but if we ever did, that a boy would be named Cade. Uh, middle name would be Franklin, based on my uh, grandfather's name, uh, or my, my mom's dad's name. But Cade is a, is a character that really stands out to me. He's It's one of the few series that I really got into and wanted to have more from. Like, I've got that big Celebration 6 print of the, the main legacy character signed by Dursima that a friend who does another podcast, A Few Good Clones, was able to help get for me and, and send over to me, uh, David Senden, when he went. It's one of these ones where the character really captures my attention because he is flawed, but it's unlike what we see with Anakin. Anakin we see being flawed, but a lot of the psychology behind his flaws, you know, all the pressure of being the chosen one, being taken away from his mother and all that kind of stuff, having been a slave, it's sort of psychological pressures we assume are there because of what he went through, but the stories never really play them up very much. We get a little bit of the whole, you know, he's against slavery thing like in the Clone Wars cartoon series, but by and large, they don't show us the psychology in action as he's being scarred. And in this case, we do. That first issue gives us the reasons behind we take what is given. Uh, no one dies for me. Never again. Which are things that, to me, are iconic phrases of this. Some of the few... I mean, Star Wars stories don't usually give me iconic phrases that I remember outside of the movies. This series did. I'm very glad that they did what they did with issue number one, even though some griped about it and said, well, you know, what's up with this feeling so different than the rest of Broken? You need it. If you're going to call it Broken... Show us the breaking of the character so we can understand why they're broken later. That doesn't give up what we were looking for in the story. It doesn't take away the mystery. It gives us more of a mystery of where is he going to go as opposed to where has he been. Well, there's a lot of stuff hidden in the dialogue. I mean, when Cade first shows up with Wolf and his dad as the Sith are attacking Ossus, his dad goes, Cade, we're not going to start this again. As in, Cade's got a history of disobeying orders. You're still a Padawan, not a knight. You owe your master obedience. He gave you an order. Because Wolf told him to go. And he's like, my place is here with you and Master Sazen. I feel it. And he's like, listen to the Force, Cade. A Jedi's first concern is to preserve life. Protect the younglings with your life, son. Obey Master Sazen and go. And, and you can just see Cade's face. He is just pissed. Classic teen angst rebellion here. And it's dot, 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 yes, father. And he says it quietly, too. You know, and then as he goes, you know, even Wolf realizes what's going on here. And, and you know, from a dad standpoint, knowing what's going to happen, it is sad. He goes, not the best of farewells, Cole. And, of course, his dad goes, we take which is given. Which, uh, you know, Nathan, you love that one. And, and it, you know, this keeps going. I mean, it, it, then we go and we've got Darth Nil. And he goes, these are the last. Finish them. Our master's will will be accomplished. And Cole goes, what? No demand for us to surrender, Sith? And he goes, my master will not make Palpatine's mistake. All Jedi must die. And he was like, holy cow. You know, like, here we go. Like, these guys, okay, they know of Palpatine. You know, you, you don't know where these Sith came from at this point. You're like, what's going on? And, you know, they, they go into some fighting and stuff. You watch some awesome stuff. And Nils, this is when he takes the arm. And, of course, Cole steps up. Because you find out later that Cole was, was Wolf's... Uh, it was Wolf's uh, master. So it's kind of like a generational thing there from Padawan to, to Knight to Padawan to Knight to all the way down to Cole, uh, or down to Cade from Cole. And he, he steps in, he's like, stand away from him. 
I am Cole Skywalker, servant of the living force. None of you will pass. And I just love that because that to me is like a classic Ganner Rysode in the well of the world brain, taken on thousands of Yuuzhan Fong. Just a classic, you know, I don't know, it reminds me of Gandalf even. None shall pass. You know, just, I don't know, that seems to me like architectural of, of this type of story. And they also give us, I mean, aside from giving us the background there of Cade, they give us a hint or a couple of hints as to not really the identity of Darth Crate, but the idea that there's more to where this Sith line came from than we originally were, uh, was suggested to us. All the people griping, well, the Sith are back. Oh, here we go again. That there's more to their origins. Because on the last page, we have Darth Weirlock, that's Weirlock the Third, um, taking care of Crate. And Crate says, how long have I fought this thing which threatens to take me over and make me not myself? How much longer can I keep it at bay? A decade or two, perhaps? Not more? And the galaxy is not yet in order. Then you skip a panel, and he says, I have not lived this long or prepared so exactly to fail now. Becoming emperor is just the first step. Now, it gives you the sense that he's, I mean, he is sort of this era's version of like what we got with the Dark Emperor, uh, Vichit, in the Old Republic stuff, where we're getting the idea that this is a Sith Emperor who has been around for a lot longer than a regular lifetime. We don't know how long yet, because we don't know who he is yet. Um, I don't think at this point they were even suggesting this was a character that we had known before, as we'll later find out he is. So instead, we're getting a lot of mystery around what, is they, what do they mean by this thing that is taking him over? We got a little bit of hints in the Zero issues, but number one is laying down the foundation for much of what we are going to see in the future once we get to, uh, especially, for instance, the Claws of the Dragon storyline, which is good. Well, and, and, you know, that also goes into part of the broken. You know, we see that the Sith Lord himself is broken. Uh, getting back to the breaking of Cade, you know, he he does follow his father's instructions, goes onto the shuttle with uh, with Val, uh, the other Jedi Knight that's in there, uh, well, Padawan at this point, and they're going to take the rest of the younglings and go. And he realizes that, that Wolf is down. And so he's like, I'm not going to leave my father. And he runs back out there and he's like, I'm here, father. You don't fight alone. And I mean, Cole is just like, he's screaming, no, I mean, you don't want your son out here. You are basically making the last sacrifice. You're the last Jedi standing. You want them to get out of here. In a lot of regards, this is Kukruk trying to, to make sure everyone else stays alive. But, you know, he goes, every moment you delay here, you endanger the lives on that shuttle. This is not how you were taught. I won't leave you. You're putting your own wants, your own desires ahead of your duties, ahead of the needs of others. You're a Skywalker, Cade. Act like one. Help your master onto the shuttle and leave. And he's picking up his master over his shoulder, and he's got tears. I mean, just the the drawing here. Jan does such a great job, and he goes, as you command, master. And he gets on the shuttle, and that's the last thing him and his father say to each other. I mean, that is some deep-breaking things. I mean, Dad's throwing out there, you know, do the Jedi thing, but not only on top of that, you are the namesake of our order. You need to be setting an example. I mean, he's the last thing he's getting is getting chastised by his father for doing the wrong thing when all he's trying to do is make sure his father comes back alive. That's deep. In other words, after all this sacrifice, we find out by issue number two that it sort of was worth it, but sort of not. At least if the idea was to keep the Jedi order alive and to keep Cade within the Jedi Order. Because as we pick up with part two, we get to see uh, an, an older Shado, an older wolf, now missing the arm that he lost to Nil in that battle. And eventually, we see an older Cade. 
And we, we're actually introduced to Cade's partners before being introduced to him. We get introduced to Delia Blue, which I thought was awesome to finally see a Zeltron back in a major role. Since in a major role, we haven't really seen a Zeltron since Danny back in the Marvel series. When the Marvel series ended, uh, the original Marvel series at least ended back in, I believe it was 87, or excuse me, in 86. It was the, the droids and Ewok stuff that ended in 87. Um, very cool to see her there. We get to meet Jiraiya Sin, uh, Cade's quasi-partner in all of this, who apparently is also a pirate, but can also use Yuzhan Vong weapons like the Thud Bugs that we see him use in issue number two. And we meet Cade, and Cade is not what you would expect. You know, they said, you know, all new Skywalker. They weren't kidding. We have essentially what amounts to a pirate-slash-bounty hunter, a scruffy-looking guy... Uh, wearing Rav's pirate symbol on his chest plate, not using a lightsaber, one that he apparently has given up at this point, willing to take in a Jedi as a bounty, and we'll eventually find, as we get further in just this arc, a death stick addict who's trying to use drugs to keep the spirit of Luke Skywalker away from him. Cade comes out here more flawed than just about anyone, and it's not... The Ulic Keldroma type of flawed. My second favorite Star Wars storyline, or uh, as far as comics go, Tales of the Jedi. I love the idea that uh, Ulic Keldroma goes to the dark side while trying to infiltrate the Sith and bring them down from within, and he becomes sort of a tragic character in that sense. But in this case, Cade's fall isn't about the dark side per se. Cade's fall is simply that he has given up being a Jedi, or dark Jedi, or anything else, and he has taken what was given. Life gave him lemons... And he just made a sour face and kept on going, as opposed to trying to make the best out of it. He has latched onto that that pirate lifestyle, you know, yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for he. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's definitely lost. Uh, you know, going back into issue one, which which plays into issue two, is, you know, Wolf was dying when Cade brought him on, and he is not going to lose. He knows he's lost his dad, so he is refusing to lose his master as well. And he's like, I will not let you go, master, and uses the Force, the dark side of the Force, to keep his master alive. This also plays into Wolf and his plot with Cade when he learns that Cade is alive. Uh, I love, though, the opening, because the opening is seven years later on the planet Daluge. Uh, I'm I'm probably saying it wrong, but I love the the artwork of the planet. We got a bunch of droid heads on sticks and stuff. And again, uh, again, it's the dialogue that continues to set up what's going on in the background. Uh, one of the Jedi that are there when Wolf walks up, there's three of them, and he goes, "It is dangerous for more than one Jedi to gather in a single place these days. If it's not the bounty hunters, it's the Sith." And you know, it gives you that feeling of like Kotor too. You know, when the Jedi are all on the run. So it's one of those things where you're kind of like, "Hmm, where's this gonna go?" Another thing we get in the first uh, regular time period issue of this, part two, is the introduction of Darth Talon, or as often referred to, Darth Slut. Uh, it's, she is the one that this series was promoted around. We didn't see promotional artwork much of Cade or Sin or Delia or anybody like that. We got Darth Slutty. Issue number one has her at the center as if she's the one more prominent than Crate and Darth Nil. She's the one on the cover of issue number zero and number zero one half. She's the one that's on the cover of many of the trade paperbacks or, or uh, uh, collected editions, because there are hardbacks too, of this storyline. It's funny how, I mean, she's 
She's a major player to a degree, but not nearly as much as so many others, and yet she's the one they're using. Why? Because she's a Twi'lek, she's tattooed, and she's half-naked. Uh, which, granted, sort of fits in, I guess, with the whole Twi'lek thing. If you're going to have Twi'leks half the time running around half-naked, what is a, a Sith one going to be? Even more hoey than the others would be. But I like the fact that her test is very much like the test that we have with many of the Sith, like, say, Dooku, where his last test as a Sith was to kill... Uh, Sifo-Dyas? Where Dooku's last Sith uh, test was to kill Sifo-Dyas, his closest friend. So we see the initiation here of Darth Talon. We don't ever get a whole lot of depth to Darth Talon, but we get to see her come into play here, which does two things. One, it finally gives us a reason for those covers and makes her a major character as she is one of the Emperor's hands, along with Nil, going after Cade. But also, we get that amusing thing that, looking back on it now, is kind of a head-scratcher, and that is that Darth Talon, her master Darth Ruin, and most of the other Sith, minus Malady and Nil, they're all wearing those so-called Sith tattoos that at the time we thought were Sith tattoos because we saw Darth Maul wearing them, and we saw that story in Tales in which Darth Maul first gets his tattoos, supposedly, which of course has now been tossed. And now we know, thanks to Lucas picking up Maul and bringing him into the Clone Wars and all, and Savage Press and all, that, uh, oh wait, it's not because he's a Sith. It's because he was a Knight Brother. Maul, that is. It's because he was a Knight Brother on Dathomir, and they are Knight Brother tattoos. Then he became a Sith Lord, and presumably they just saw his and thought they were Sith and wanted to pay homage to that and use them for the new one Sith. I find it kind of ironic because it means they're basically walking around with tattoos that don't mean what they think they mean. It'd be like if Hitler was out there and everyone's like, we must be like Hitler. We must all be white. When it turns out that Hitler, maybe he wasn't white. Maybe he was black. Maybe he was uh, Asian, whatever. But uh, he had a, a an albino thing going on. He was white, not because he was white genetically, but it was a genetic thing that when he said that everyone should be of his race, he didn't actually mean white, folks. He meant something else. I mean, imagine if that were the case. What would the what would the world look at the Nazis at at this point? Wow, they're even more deluded than they thought they were, or that we thought they were. Um, it's kind of that same type of thing. Uh, it, it, the the imagery falls flat now that we know where the imagery comes from. It becomes something to laugh at rather than find badass. Well, see, I I laugh at Krayt himself because obviously his character, who he was, that we find out later is the real one that made that assumption. And therefore, he adopted it thinking that that was that way. I mean, it all fell on him now. Whereas before, it just seemed like, well, he was going off of history. No, now he just made an assumption. <laughs> and I, I think that's funny. But at the end of, of, of where he, you know, she she kills Darth Ruin and he goes, Apprentice, and he goes, come to me. And she walks up and he goes, I am your life, I am your death. And he's like filling her full of force lightning. And then afterwards, there's like this like misty stuff swirling around her, and he goes, "You have passed your final test without flinching." I name you Dark Talon. I wonder what he was doing there. I mean, was that like one of those things like Palpatine did with Mara, where you know she's able to hear his voice from here on out? I, I mean, there's nothing really that tells you what's going on in that regard. But 
I, I immediately got interested in it. And I love the fact that, you know, she is a lot like a, a Sith hound, you know, and she's sent out immediately to go and start tracking down people and, and find out where Emperor Fell is because, you know, Emperor Fell pulled a fast one by using a clone to, uh, or, or a, a, was it a clone or just a, a duplicate of him where it was someone that looked like him as, as a decoy that ended up getting killed by Krayat. Uh And so now Krayat's mad because he wants to be the Emperor and he can't quite do that if you got the other Emperor out running around going, no, I'm still Emperor. Emperor Holmes, what's up? Which brings us into issue number three. Uh, and I gotta say that in issue number three, I, I had one of those moments where, you know how sometimes you're reading something Star Wars and it gets into an action sequence or something, or Vader is coming down a ramp somewhere, you sort of hear the music sometimes in the back of your mind because it's so iconic, it's such a big part of what Star Wars is on film. And it strikes me that when we finally see the arrival of Rowan Fell along with uh, Sigil Dare and Taris Draco and Ganner Krieg on Bastion, where he comes in and basically says, you know, I'm here to essentially move my throne. Um, you all need to bow to me. I am the true emperor. This is the true empire. We will base it from here for the moment. Um, there, he's walking down a shuttle ramp. And you almost would expect to hear something like a da 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 But at the same time, Rowan Fell's not the enemy. He's the emperor of the empire, at least supposedly, or supposed to be. But that's not really the kind of music you would put with this. We're at a point now where we're used to thinking of the empire as generally always the enemy. And yet here, slowly but surely, we're going to be given the, the impression that Rowan Fell is sort of a victim in all this and one of the ones we will need to help save the day. He's essentially a hero from something we usually think of as the villain. We get to see Maricia Fell his daughter as she's trying to escape throughout this issue and on the way to eventually get to Vendaxa, uh, where she winds up encountering Cade and the crew of the Minoc by the end of issue number three. But I find it interesting that, you know, we aren't really... that the imagery is there. We're not really given a reason to think of the Empire as something different than the Empire we have always known. And yet, slowly but surely... We're sort of getting the impression that, you know, just because it's the Empire doesn't mean it's evil. It's a question of who's running it. And the Sith Empire, in this case, yeah, that's evil. But in this case, uh, you can't judge this particular tome by its cover. True that. And it is a tangled web that they have weaved here. I mean, you know, we can't really go into all of the details of what's going on without spoiling later issues. And I don't necessarily want to do that for you. It's a really good... Lots of twists, lots of turns, lots of <gasps> did not see that comings. Um, you know, one thing I like also though is that we got the five hundred first are back. Well, of course they're back. We got the Empire here. We also, as we'll see in another issue, the next issue I believe maybe uh, we even get rogues later. Uh, there's a lot of cool things that you expect to see. A lot of changes on on the the landscape. The Mandalorians are sitting off doing their thing that we'll slowly figure out. The Sith got their stuff going on. The Jedi got their things going on. The bounty hunters are doing their things. And so is the Empire. And and I like that. You know, getting back to that whole aspect of what's going on with Hapes, that's where I really thought the second Legacy volume was going to go there. Because they kept hinting that there were things going on in Hapes. And we kind of brush around Hapes, but never really go there, go there. And so, you know, there's a, there is other aspects of this galaxy and what's going on that aren't being told, even though we're getting so much on this. So, again, I love how it's it's a galactic story where, you know, the fate of the galaxy hinges on everything, yet there are other parts of space that really have no care or want as to what's going on. The other thing about Bastion that I love, and, and, and it's Emperor Fell himself, he says, he's like, let him come here, Antares. 
Bastin is the most heavily fortified military base in the galaxy. Krayat's not a fool. It would cost him so much to take Bastion, he would have nothing left. Which, to maintain galactic order. And I love that aspect because, it, I, I don't know, for me it goes to, to Jagadfell and his dad and everything that was going on. And, and obviously, you know, they've continued to make Bastion a, 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 a just a Bastion. I mean, it's just, it is ready, it's like a teeth bristling weaponry just an armament place you do not want to mess with and because because originally that was my thought was like well why doesn't create send everybody right there and that tells you why and then you also find out that you know uh the the place where his daughter was at on sarkoro has been uh, destroyed and terry's wants to go get it but fell knows he knows it's a trap. He says, you can't go off. I forbid you. And he's like, my lord, we can't just let her die. And he goes, do you think this is easy for me to say? She's my daughter. But I can sense Crate's hand in this. And so, you know, that whole aspect. And then, of course, the next scene we see, you know, absolutely that's what's going on. Because his daughter's with Astral. And Astral's, Saya's telling Astral, she's like, contact your brother, the Jedi. So we, we know that these you know, storylines are all starting to come together right here in the third issue. You know, it's already starting to be there. And of course, you know, we see Dark Talon. Yes, run, princess, run. So your father, run to your father so I can kill him. And I'm just like, <laughs> I, 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 I can't help it. I love how vicious and evil she is. And of course, as we get near the end of the issue, we have the moment that was the what the insert expletive moment for a lot of people, which was Cade using death sticks to deaden the force because he wants to silence the spirit of Luke Skywalker. And for a while there, there was some discussion of whether or not this really is Luke. Is it really his force spirit, his force ghost? Is it a hallucination on Cade's part? It seems as though if this is Luke's force ghost, which it seems to be, it certainly is one that is not showing up here for the first time. There's a history of conversations between this ghost Luke Skywalker and Cade talking about, you know, you're doing something this time, you know, you've never turned a fellow Jedi over to the authorities before, so obviously there's some kind of previous connection and whatnot. Um, it really caused a lot of a stir in Phantom, the idea that, oh, you just gave away the fact that Luke has to die! Really? No kidding, he's going to have to die. I mean, this is 137 years after A New Hope, which would make Luke, if he was still alive, let's see, 156 years old at this point. Yeah, pretty sure he'd be dead by now. We don't know the circumstances of his death. We just know that he's dead. And apparently, we can't even look at Luke to know at what point he must have died and what he must have looked like at the point of his death because we learned from Anakin Skywalker, thank you, George Lucas, and the DVD editions, um, that apparently Anakin Skywalker can die as Sebastian Shaw, old man Vader, and show up as a Force ghost now as young 20-something Hayden Christensen Anakin. Um, but that was certainly controversial for its time uh, when it was first uh, brought up, along with the idea that Cade would threaten suicide, threaten to blow his own head off to cause Luke to finally go away. It reminded me very much of Fight Club, where Jack in the film, or Joe in the book, same character, Edward Norton's character, essentially is willing to possibly kill himself to shut up Tyler Durden, uh, which in his mind is, you know, you're a voice in my head, <laughs> you're a voice in mine, kind of thing. Um, I like the way they play that out, and the fact that we end the third issue, the third part of Broken, with the idea being that, yes, they're taking Maricia on as a passenger, and Cade does this on instinct when seeing Darth Talon because he wants to save someone from the Sith, and yet... Upon figuring out who she is, he put for puts forth the idea that either they can turn in Sia and make a big payday or lure out her father 
and capture him to make a big payday. The idea that there is a selfless side to Cade when he's acting on instinct, but when he has a chance to actually think it through, it's his thinking it through that gives us the darker side and the less Jedi-like side of Cade. The instinct is still to do the light side things. It's just not what he always acts upon. Yeah, and, and it goes it goes back to that interaction. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, you know, when, when Cade is talking to Luke and he says, you know, back again, again, symbolizing that there was the older relationship there. But, you know, let, let's let's play this out, though. You know, back again. What do you want from me? Why do you use those death sticks? They keep you away. They also did in your connection to the Force. Point two in their favor. You've never turned a fellow Jedi over to the authorities before, Cade. I'm not a Jedi, and I'm not a Skywalker either. Not anymore. I don't understand you. You have a talent to heal others that is unlike any I've ever known. You brought your own master back from the very threshold of death. Do you know what it cost to do that? Do you know where it took me? I had to put one foot in the dark side to pull Master Sassen back. It was cold and dark. And part of me liked it. Part of me hungered for it. Not a good place for a Skywalker to be, is it? I know all about the dark side, Cade. More than you do. You wouldn't have to go there to heal. Not if you were at peace with yourself. If you completed your training. If you just accepted your legacy. Be a Skywalker? That's turned out real well for our family, hasn't it? Killed my father and look what it did to yours. Be a Jedi? Why? I've read the histories time and time again. The galaxy, which we served, turned against us. We keep coming back for more. That's real clever of us, isn't it? Spare me. I lived a lot of those histories you've read. I know what sacrifices were made. I know what the victories cost. Every generation has its challenges to face, its own battles to win. Why should yours be any different? Running away from your responsibilities won't solve anything. Just shut up and leave me alone! Cade, you can't really threaten me with a blaster. Think so? Think again! Go away or I will! At which point he's pointing the gun at his own head, and Luke finally just says, You have a destiny, Cade. Whether you want it or not, it will find you. Just as mine found me. And poof! Luke is gone just like that. And so were all of our minds. Everybody across fandom went, What just happened? I also like the fact that they're making sort of an homage, it seems, to the Marvel series. At the On the last page of issue number three, it says, Continued next issue. <laughs> as Mark is fond of saying, Bullsith! Um, this is something that the Marvel series did a couple of times. Uh, coming up next, The Empire Strikes Back. No, it's Riders in the Void. Coming up next, Far, Far Away. Nope, that's not until several issues later, where they would have to put a filler in, a filler issue in there, but didn't realize it at the time. So issue number four winds up being Noob, as Mark mentioned, we'll deal with that as we deal more with the Mandalorian side of things when we get to a much later story arc, which of course brings us into part four, which is mostly action, oriented, so there's probably not as much to say about this one, not as much character development so much as just a bunch of a butt-kicking, but I have to say, it was interesting at the beginning to see Darth Crate communing with some characters that at the time we knew some about, but very little about at least one of them. He's communing with the, the, the Sith holocron incarnations of Darth Bane, who of course got uh, some background in the relatively recent past when it comes to the publishing of this, um, Darth Nihilus from Knights of the Old Republic 2, and Darth Andedu, who is someone that at the time we got very little background on, who later was given much more background as we moved on in things like Book of the Sith and whatnot here. Uh, all around the idea that he is trying to, to to gain some control over his own deterioration, which we see when they give him what amounts to sort of a vision of what he could be, and that Vong growth is taking over his entire body. But again, 
for anyone who is reading this at the time without reading Zero, they're thinking, what on earth is this that's making him into Darth Porcupine? I love that scene. That was such a great scene. And having all those Darth Lords come out, you know, Dark Lords who have gone before, whose malevolent wisdom lies sealed within these holocrons. Again, I summon you. I open my mind to your teachings. Now open your secrets of your power. And and the fact that they all come out, and I loved it. Uh, it was it Darth Nihilus uh, doesn't actually talk. There's like symbols being said. You don't know what exactly he or she is saying. You're like, wait, what? And Bane immediately starts ripping into him for kind of going against all of his teachings. You defy my teachings. And he's like, I have improved on it. Instead of two, there is now only one, the Sith Order itself. I have recreated the Sith Lord Bane as you once did. I have given it a purpose. For what use is power without one? Power is its own purpose. To share it is to delude it. You delude yourselves, pretender. Your order will turn yet on itself and you. I just, I love the way that they just ripped him apart. They're like, you're not even a Sith. And, you know, I mean, I can see where they're coming from. Well, we also get in this issue the first clash, the first uh, official clash between our characters and Darth Talon, because, of course, they escaped in the, at the end of part three without actually really having to face her all that much. And we see her fighting against our characters as the, the two groups, Wolf and Shado, uh, and then, of course, Cade's Minot crew, along with the two passengers they just picked up, Astral and Sia, finally coming together on Vendaxa. So we get to see the reaction to seeing Cade from Wolf and from Shado when he kind of pretends as though he doesn't really recognize them, which, of course, he does. But, you know, they add, you know, he's, they said, uh, Cade, your name is Cade? Well, yeah, yeah, what of it, essentially, rather than actually having some kind of nice, warm uh, welcome between the two. We get to see Cade use his abilities, his Force abilities, in front of Jariah and Delia, which is apparently something he's not done before, or at least not done in a, a Jedi context, per se, so that they can know he's a Jedi and think that maybe he's someone they could turn in for cash, or at least that's what Cade's going to wind up thinking that... Jiraiya is going to do. It makes for a kind of cool battle, though I have to say that it's during the battle that we get to really see CFL finally get into action as he tries to save Wolf with her Imperial Knight lightsaber. And uh, she's got that that weird white streak going through her hair. She looks like she's trying to be Rogue from X-Men, uh, or that perhaps we should be referring to her now as Princess Le Pew. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because that is like the one jagged fell trait that they've decided is is genetic, I guess. Like, okay, so Jag's got a, a, a little tuft of hair at the end of a scar that he got in battle that caused the hair to go white. So now genetically all his descendants are going to have that same little white tuft of hair. Okay, I'm following that logic. Not, but all right. The only other thing here is, you know, we had that moment where uh, we have another quick little flashback to while everything's going down, um, you know, Wolf's down, he's being shocked and all that stuff. And, and Shia, she's trying to kind of save him and all that. And that's when he has that moment. He's like, Ossus, like Ossus. And he has the flashback to Wolf on the ground. And then he's just like, ah, cark it. And just fires the blaster. <laughs> I love the way, like, it reminds me of uh, Malcolm Reynolds and Firefly. Just, you know, he has that kind of Han Solo-ness to him. And I, 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 I like it. You know, going back to the Death Sticks aspect of it, you know, you liked the character for similar reasons I liked the character. I mean, I, I have in my life battled with addictions. You know, I've been addicted to a few different things that, that I have fought to overcome. 
And, you know, currently right now, my biggest addiction is Star Wars itself, one that I, I choose to never overcome that addiction. But seeing a character in Star Wars that is fighting an addiction, I, I don't know, to me, that that grounded in a sense of realism for me that I enjoyed. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've had these struggles. So seeing someone else in, in a galaxy that I enjoy a lot going through something I have similarly struggled with was something that, that touched me. I, I really had a, a fondness for the character for that reason and that reason alone. Granted, his reasons for doing it were a little different from when I was younger, but I liked seeing that struggle inside the character and how the character overcame that. That, for me, was something that you don't see in a lot of your Star Wars stuff and granted a lot of people came down on it for that but I really think in that regard that you know, maybe some of the people that were coming down on it are a little closed minded to more of what's going on in life because when you've dealt with addiction it, it's not something so easily turned away and, and watching Cade struggle with that I don't know it was kind of refreshing to see something in that regard we also get some pretty good character moments as we move into part 5 uh, we get to see a, fi- a conversation finally between Wolf and Cade about why it was he turned away from the Jedi. We get to see uh, Cade essentially confronting Deliah and Jiraiya about the possibility of, now that they know he's a Jedi, will they turn him in? Of course, Deliah will not. Jiraiya has at least thought about it up to this point, though of course he won't. We get to see a conversation between Cade and Sia about the idea of the, the wanting to abandon one's legacy and what's expected of them to have freedom to choose their own path. Even once the battle itself starts where we get to see our characters fighting against Nil and such, and some other Sith there with Darth Talon, we get to see the arrival of Antares Draco and Ganner Krieg, which allows Antares to profess his love for Sia in a classic I love you, I know type of sequence. And even those who aren't directly participating in the battle, like Deliah and Jiraiah and Astral, aboard the Minoc waiting to be able to leave, we have a really a, a, a panel that probably should not have been drawn this way for a Zeltron character, uh, especially when Zeltrons are thought of as hoey by themselves. Um, it's the panel that starts with uh, Delia saying, Scrag that, we're not leaving without Cade. Look at that image and tell me that's not a little uh, uh, unusual camera placement there. Um, suffice to wait, say... Wait, 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 where at? I gotta find this. It's, it's, the, it's the page it, on the bottom of the left-hand side. It's where Antares is saying, I love you, Sia. She says, I know... On the facing page on the right, it's uh, four panels on the page. It's the second panel where it has the shot basically from below and between Delia's legs, which doesn't... that <laughs> I'm not sure if they were meaning for that to be suggestive, but it is a Zeltron character. Suffice to say, um, we get a character moment from her where she refuses to leave Cade to the point where, you know, she would even space Jiraiya while he sleeps if they were to leave without him. Uh, until finally... Cade, who has been essentially there watching this, unable to move because he's, he's sort of getting flashbacks of Osis, finally winds up being saved by Sia, who seemingly, though she doesn't really, seemingly sacrifices her life for him. He is finally willing to take up a lightsaber, which is something he had just told Sazen and others he would not ever do again. Why? Because he's had enough. The iconic image for me of this first storyline of Legacy is the last page of issue number six, Broken Part 5, where the lightsaber comes into his hand, he ignites the Imperial Knight lightsaber, and we see him from behind, standing over the fallen Sia, the blue lightsaber blade ignited in his right hand, in his left hand he's holding his blaster, his specialized blaster that he always carries, sort of symbolic of the life that he lives now, as opposed to the Jedi heritage he wants to get rid of, and we see him sort of turning back over his shoulder, 
with the dialogue there saying, I have had enough, leading us, of course, into part six. That, to me, is the iconic moment because it shows him sort of straddling between um, those two, I guess straddling might not be a, a good word to use given that whole comment about Delia's shot earlier, um, but it's it's him sort of straddling between the two lifestyles, and now he's bearing the weapons of both, and we don't know where he's going with this. He's had enough. We know he can lean toward the dark side. Is he going to face the events of issue number seven as more of a Jedi, more of a scoundrel as he has been, or somehow the Cade Skywalker mixture of both as we head into the last part of the story? Well, you know, and I did not realize till just now that her lightsaber was blue. Uh, you know, all the Imperial Knights lightsabers are silver, uh, but apparently hers is blue, which makes me wonder if Fells himself says blue. Well, wait, wait. Are they all silver? Because from what I'm seeing flipping through here, I don't see, I mean, Antares Dracos looks blue to me. I don't, they don't look silver to me in the issue. Really? See, when I was looking back, uh, and mine, yeah, and, and, and Tari's looks white. It looks like, I mean, yeah, you could kind of say it's blue, but hers is definitely blue. Like there is. You know what this is? This is the DVDs all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, but but it's blue. It's green. It's white. Who the heck knows? Yeah. That's the color correction. Well, that that was the interesting thing about it, though, is the Imperial Knight lightsaber is a symbol of their unity and how the individual self is less than the empire that they serve. The Imperial Knights all use the lightsaber of the same design. And my question was, you know, whose design are they all using? For one, and in the same, you know, you know, again on issue six, part five, uh, at the beginning there, we have a moment where you know the emperor says, "No, my word is final," and Ganner tells Antares, he says, "Antares, I'm sorry, I'm with you, but we have sworn an oath of loyalty, and the emperor has spoken." And Antares says, "I know Ganner, but is loyalty always the same as obedience?" and well, the Imperial Knights are trained to follow the will of the Force as personified by their Emperor. And so there is that aspect of how their order is different than the Jedi themselves. The Jedi are following the will of the Force. These guys follow the will of the Emperor. And we will see it again brought up later, but I like seeing that. And, and you know, when you look on the cover of number six, though, all their lightsabers are white. So, I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is the whole inside the Blu-ray thing once we get on the inside. But I remember it being that they were all having silver lightsabers because I originally thought, well, maybe that means Coran Horn joins them. You know, because I was just that lame. But, yeah, I had that thought. But that blue on her lightsaber, that totally slipped me until just now. I had no realization at all that hers was different. But it kind of makes sense, though, because she is the royalty of the bunch. I do like the fact that we've got this idea, essentially, that uh, they are Jedi somewhat. They are Jedi who essentially follow the will of the Emperor, assuming that he's the one who can guide them through the Force. But it's sort of the opposite of what, and you can see it as an outgrowth of what we saw in, say, Legacy of the Force, New Jedi Order even to a degree, Fate of the Jedi, where repeatedly, in order to follow the will of the Force and defeat evil, the Jedi have found themselves at odds with the Galactic Alliance or the New Republic, as the case may be. Uh, in terms of what the government wants them to do and what they themselves want to do, the way they see themselves. We even saw, of course, in the New Jedi Order, that big philosophical break with uh, the difference between Kip Duran's view and Luke's view. So it's kind of interesting here to see that they have taken this to the other side, which is to say that it's their duty to follow the government, period. You know, that it's not about what you want where the Force is leading you, per se. It's about the will of the Force personified by this Force sensitive imperial knight emperor 
at this point, which is also somewhat of a new thing that we don't really see outside of way long ago in the Old Republic type era, where we've got essentially a, or I guess even before that, where we have an emperor or a galactic leader who is a Jedi, in the, or in this case, an Imperial Knight. That, of course, brings us into issue number six, or, or I guess issue number seven, part six, where we get our knockdown, drag-out fight, where Cade finally is fighting alongside other Jedi with a lightsaber, we find that Maricia Fell is, in fact, still alive. She didn't actually sacrifice herself, but she is quickly dying. Uh, and it's up to Cade to sort of go back and do what he did with Wolf, which at this point seems a little weird, because we hadn't seen a Jedi using this type of ability, using the dark side to heal someone with sort of a Force Lightning type thing. But it's an ability that will become a major part of this series, because it's part of why Darth Crate is going to want him eventually. And we get to see him heal... Maricia and the idea that it takes much from him as he sits there kind of huddled in the corner with a Sith eye thing going on after having saved her. There's one other thing that stands out about this one that I want to mention, but I'll wait until the end of our discussion to bring it up because it's more of a an error issue than anything else. But I like the fact that we get to see Cade finally fight. We don't really see the sense that he is going to be a Jedi yet per se, though he does leave with Wolf and Shado briefly. Um, but he's sort of, he, he's still Cade. Cade is still that flawed figure, even when he enters the fight on the right side. Well, and, and I love how, like, you know, you mentioned that the iconic image of the last one, and then it jumps right in. I mean, the battle goes hot and heavy, and Nilus is there, and they're fighting, and he's like, vengefulness is not a Jedi trait, boy. And he, yeah, well, I'm a pretty nasty Jedi. And then Wolf comes in, you cannot defeat him with anger, Cade. That is a Sith weapon. Whatever works. <laughs> Just, that's what I like. I have been wanting a Punisher. Cade Skywalker is your Punisher. He is willing to do whatever it takes to punish the villain, and I love that. I mean, that that is something that, as as Jedi, I have always been wanting. When 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 Jason Solo was set up for Dark Nest, and then they took him down a different rogue Jedi path, I was expecting something like this. You know, somebody that was willing to do whatever it takes in the name of right, and actually have it be right, not be wrong in the end. And so, you know, as this story, and, and, and it progresses on beyond broken, and we start to watch Cade's story develop, and will he become a Sith, or, or won't he? I liked not knowing, but I loved the fact that he was willing to give it a whirl. And I almost thought, and in fact I did think, I guess, when reading this for the first time, that something happens that doesn't actually happen in the story. Because remember, he has that nice moment talking to Sia about the future and about, you know, being able to get rid of the legacy. Then she apparently sacrifices herself for him. And we know that, that there are feelings between her and Antares, but it's not something that she can actually act upon. Then we see her brought back to life by Cade. So it seems as though they're building a connection, at least somewhat of a connection, between Sia and Cade with the connection there between Antares and Sia made me think that maybe a love triangle was something they were trying to eventually get to, especially with Delia having the feelings for Cade that it seems like he's sort of like willing to just kind of say whatever, fine, too. You know, like when she asks whether or not she'll be sleeping with him in his quarters while the, the Minoc is so cramped, he's like, yeah, whatever, fine. But in the original printing of this issue, you get to right near the very end. It is the, uh, if you count back, with the last page being the one that says end of chapter one, not counting the uh, advertisements, it is the fourth to last page, I guess it is. Um, and we see 
It says, uh, welcome all of you to Bastion. Our deepest thanks for bringing back our daughter to us. So they're talking about Sia. Uh, we are in your debt, and you'll not find us miserly. Please stay a while as our guests, and Tari's Ganner will speak later. And as Cade is about to try to walk away and runs into Wolf, uh, and, you know, he is willing to take Wolf and Shado to their next location, we see this moment of Cade looking at a woman sleeping in bed before he walks out. It certainly gives the indication that he, assuming he didn't break into those quarters, that Cade has been with this woman overnight. Cade has probably had sexual relations with that woman. And they colored it wrong. In the original issue, this is supposed to be Delia Blue. She's supposed to have that pinkish-purplish skin and a different color hair. The bluish hair. Instead, the colorist colored this character he's looking at in bed as Sia. She's Caucasian. She has dark hair with a streak of white. So for the original issue readers, it looked like Cade just got a wham-bam, thank you for saving my life, ma'am with Sia before he leaves. And that's not what we were supposed to think. It completely changed the meaning of the end of the issue. <gasps> really? Yeah, because I have the original. I don't have the other. So that's supposed to be Delilah in the bed? Yeah, that's supposed to be his Zeltron co-pilot. That's not supposed to be Sia. <laughs> they actually showed this, I believe, a corrected page in a future issue. I think it was in the letters pages or something. Um, but if you get the digital version of it, you can tell. Everything else is colored the same. But it's blue. It's Delia blue. But yeah, so in the original issue, it looked like it was Sia. She was colored as if she was Sia right down to the white streak in the hair. Uh, in later trade paperback form, and if you get it in the digital comic version, as I did as we were sitting here, because I wanted to be sure. Um, it's $1.99 at this point. Um, yeah, in the newer printings and the digital version, it's the corrected image where she's colored correctly as Delia. But man! Talk about a red herring to be given by that error. I mean, that wasn't like a, a spelling mistake. Brad Anderson, the colorist of that issue, managed to basically give us a completely different story point by coloring the character wrongly. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Kind of sad, though, that uh, Fell and uh, Blue, they look so alike that all you have to do is color their hair and skin differently and you have the same character. Yeah, I mean, and I and I didn't catch that the implications of until you pointed that out, which is funny as heck, uh, you know. And, and I I will also note that in this issue number seven, there are multiple times we see the Imperial Knights, and they do have white silver. Although Antero's in like one of the first ones, they kind of have like a slight blue tint to it. But when you see him standing next to other blue ones, it's obvious that they're not. Um, it almost kind of gives you the feel though, like when they're fighting next to uh, Shia's blade or Shia's blade that that theirs pick up the coloring of hers because in the scenes where they are fighting next to her blade, there is a very, very slight blue to the outer edge of theirs. But when that blade, her blade is not present and they are fighting against the others, uh, it is pure white. Um, or when the other Jedi pulls his blade out and his is blue, theirs is regular white across from it. Um, it's a mood saber. It, it, <laughs> it, the way that you feel, especially with, apparently every time Antares is around Sia, he's like, Ooh, mama. It changes to match her color. <laughs> we belong together. See, we're faded. Our colors are matching. It's a union of the force. I, I like, though, how as this wraps up and we see that Cade is back with his former master and, and his little buddy, uh, you know, they're they're out there. And, and uh, Sado, he says, uh, 
Of course, tell me, are you any better pilot than the last time I saw you? And Kay's like, you're a funny Jedi, Shado. Nobody likes a funny Jedi. No one seems to much like Jedi anymore, period. Just saying, the last ship I saw you in exploded. And I think it's, I love the little humor that they tie in here every now and again. They don't go too far with it, but they do it just right. I will say, though, I was a little bit worried that it was a little bit too pat of an ending. I was very much hoping, as it turns out to be, that the fact that he left with Shadow and Wolf doesn't mean he's just going to become a Jedi and the only conflicted Cade we're ever going to get is that first storyline. I was really hoping that it that the first storyline, the angsty character we got there, was going to continue. Thankfully, he does. But you gotta admit, the way that ends with them heading off in the Minot kind of makes you think, really? Really, he's just gonna go back and be part of the Jedi again? That's the way it felt to me. Well, and I think that was the point. It was, here's your happy ending, but then the next chapter comes out and you realize it's not so happy after all. Getting to the last page, though, the thing I like the most about this is they're talking about Skywalker. Well, and I think that was the point. It was, here's your happy ending, but then the next chapter comes out and you realize it's not so happy after all. Getting to the last page, though, the thing I like the most about this is they're talking about Skywalker, you know, and it is Darth Talon. She's talking to her master about, Master, I failed you. I'm ready to die. Yes, and yet you have brought me knowledge which is greater than your future. There is a Skywalker, and he is powerful in the Force. And then, of course, you know, he goes, I often wonder if I shouldn't have ended the Skywalker lineage when I had the chance. Perhaps it was fated that I did not. And that right there is our only real clue as to how old he is, because now we know for a fact that he was alive when a Skywalker was. We know Luke's dead, so it, it comes down to which Skywalker is he talking about? Cole? Later we find out about Nat, Ben, Luke, Anakin? Yeah, it certainly was one of those ones where you're like, huh, because he could have taken out... You know, it, it, He says you know, if he shouldn't have ended the Skywalker lineage when he had the chance, but he didn't know that Cade was alive until just now, so certainly he couldn't have been wondering about whether he should have killed Cade because he thought he did. It must be another Skywalker, and of course we'll eventually find out that it seems as though he's referring to, and I would assume that he's supposed to be referring to Anakin back in the Republic comics. But of course, now thanks to Fate of the Jedi, there's always the opportunity he might have had to take out Luke at one point, uh, Beyond Shadows or whatever they called it with him, uh, being able to fight against Abeloth alongside uh, Luke. So yeah, he had that opportunity. I do like the fact that sh that she comes back and instead of being punished for her failure, she is given... Uh, the new mission, essentially, that she, that uh, uh, she will be the one to help track down this Skywalker and such. Because I expected her to go back, and like most angered Sith Emperors, I expected him to just slap the tats off of her for what she did. Um, and note, I said tats, not tits, but with Dark Talent, I guess it could go either way. <laughs> um, I expected him to just be so angry that she would be punished, and she may have been just a one-arc character. Instead, he's much more forgiving than some of the other Sith that we have seen. He is willing, because she's brought him back this information, to allow her to live and fight and kill another day, which I guess is good if they're going to heavily promote the series based around that relatively minor character. Yeah. Darth Hardy, we're going to send you and your feminine wiles to take this man down, because just like Anakin Skywalker, the key to his fall lies in his pants. You think that when Talon uh, was named... I mean, in, in Revenge of the Sith, you've got the whole, uh, you hear the echoes of the Sith say, you are now the Darth Vader, right? You think that maybe someone was sitting there going, 
you will be Darth Skanky. Oh, sorry, wasn't listening to the voice of the Sith, was listening to the other voice in my bands. My apologies. You'll be Darth Talon. That's what I meant. <laughs> oh, you are Darth. I want to give her my talent. I mean, Darth Talon. I... Talk about, I mean, talk about fan service playing into the, the, uh, the all nerds will buy anything with a sexy woman on it. Playing into the, uh, Lord love the cosplayers type of mindset. Uh, I don't know, Darth Talon, of all the Sith characters, just, I mean, I get the logic. I mentioned the logic with the Twi'leks earlier, but part of me just has to do the facepalm thing every time I see anything with Darth Talon in it, because the design of that character is so blatantly uh, Seven of Nine <laughs> to Voyager uh, that it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling why they did it that way. But, you know, we just kind of expect it. Well, let's solicit some feedback. Ladies, Beyonders out there, what do you think? Was Darth Talon pushing it too far, or was it all right, just borderlining that line. I don't know. Let, let's hear from you. Throw us an email out there. <laughs> and that, on that note, we should pretty much wrap up for the episode. Uh, keep in mind that, yes, the contest, by the time you listen to this episode, the contest for those little Star Wars crossover Transformer things has ended. We'll be able to announce the winner in our next episode. We record these early, so we haven't had a chance to actually draw that winner yet. Uh, but you'll see that on the Facebook page and uh, here. In the next episode, you'll be able to hear that winner's name. And we'll announce another contest, more than likely. That's right. That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you, highly encourage you, to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. We're always posting questions and ponders to you guys out there. Not only can you post comments back to us about the show... We love those interactions with you fellow fans. If you have any questions or comments, just fire them off directly to SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Hey, it's our favorite of all genres. You can do it without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate, because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan, now writing for InvisibleGamer.net. Check it out. Woo-woo! Saying, may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. That they didn't make Darth Talon so sexually provocative on purpose. Because it was a mistake. It was an accident. About to say that they didn't get any female feedback before creating Darth Talon, but Jan Dursima's the one who's drawing and helped create her, so never mind. Does that mean that we're okay for liking Darth Talon because she was created by a woman then? Hmm, what are the odds? 
only weird character in the bunch where it's not so much that his mother was a single mother per se, and therefore he wound up with his mother's name as opposed to a father's name. It's the fact that he just, or sh I'm an Anakin. Try that again. You know, the Milan, the Milan Lorians. You gonna be Luke? Be Luke, Nathan. But we have sworn an or Sonan. I'm gonna slap some tats. Got 146th in my pocket. I'ma bring my saber. It's a red saber. I am freaking awesome. Darth Hottie, we're gonna send you and your feminine wiles to take this man down because just like Anakin Skywalker, the key to his fall lies in his pants. You think that when Talon uh, was named, I mean, in, in Revenge of the Sith, you've got the whole, uh, you hear the echoes of the Sith saying, you will now be Darth Vader, right? You think that maybe someone was sitting there going, you will be Darth Skanky. Oh, sorry, wasn't listening to the voice of the Sith, was listening to the other voice in my bands. My apologies. You will be Darth Talon. Oh, you are Darth. I want to give her my Talon. I mean Darth Talon. I and we'll announce another contest more like more that. Kate has probably had sexual relations with that woman. <laughs>